Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to the Gospel according to Luke and the 18th chapter, Luke chapter 18. This um, morning, as we prepare for a baptism, we want to see what our Lord has to say about infants of believers and their position in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 18, verse 15, and we'll read down to verse 17. Please give your attention once again to the reading of God's holy word. These are the very words of our God. And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called unto them, uh, unto him, and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our holy God, we come to another glorious text that teaches us the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Mysteries revealed. O holy God, we pray that you would enable the man who preaches to preach the kingdom of God with power that the Lord Jesus Christ would be the one to receive the glory out of the preaching, that your spirit would enable this weak vessel to preach the excellencies of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord and give your same spirit to those who will hear. Oh, Father, you say in your word through our Lord Jesus Christ that those who enter into the kingdom of God must be born again by the spirit and of water. And so we pray that the word of God would be used to accomplish such ends such holy ends today, that your people would enter the kingdom of God if they are unconverted, and if converted, the kingdom of God would grow more and more in their hearts and minds. And to that end, Father, we pray that unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, the grace would be given that I should preach among your congregation the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we ask this for his sake and in his name. Amen. Well, soon an infant of the covenant will be baptized. She will receive a covenant sign that is in fact owed to her, that she is owed under the covenant of grace, a sign that ought never be robbed from the infants of believers. But for today, what I really want to press upon you and is the thrust of this text is that when an infant comes into the kingdom of God through the waters of baptism, You are to recall the words of our God, of our Lord, who said, Except a man be born again, that is, becoming like an infant, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3. And what did he say straight after that? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5. In other words, what infant baptism portrays for you and me is this, that we need to be born again and born of water and the Spirit, that we are all of us who are saved to become as infants, and that is the only way to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, to lose infant baptism is to lose a vital and necessary portrait of the gospel itself that a man must be born again as this infant was born and be saved from the wrath to come. 
to be born of the Spirit, which is signified by the waters of baptism being poured out, which signify a cleansing of our sin. There is a wonderful picture then of the new birth when an infant is baptized in the sacrament we will observe. And so with that, by way of introduction, our theme is simply this, that the baptism of infants shows our need to be born again as a little child. The baptism of infants shows our need to be born again as a little child. We'll consider this theme concerning the infants of believers under the three heads on your bulletin. First is, they are part of the kingdom. Second, they are due the sign of kingdom entrance. And third, they show your need to be born again. (coughs) So first, infants of believers are part of the kingdom of God. You're probably very familiar with the authorized version's rendition of Jesus' saying in verse 16, Suffer, little children, to come unto me, and forbid them not. Boys and girls, suffer in the older language simply means let or permit. In other words, permit or let little children to come unto me and forbid them not. That is our Savior's heart towards our children. He wants them to come to him, and we are never to forbid them from coming to him. And the reason I preach this out of Luke this morning and not Matthew or Mark is because the Holy Spirit moved Luke to show us the little children here were infants. Verse 15, they brought unto him also infants. Luke uses the Greek word for a baby, not just a little child, but infants or babies. And perhaps that is, I was talking to a brother before this about Luke, the beloved physician. Maybe it is that Luke is a bit more particular when it comes to medical matters and is a bit more precise. He's not speaking of a child, but infants and babies. Luke was a doctor. He used the same word, and this is important for us in our day and age. He used the same word for John the Baptist in the womb. Luke 141, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. That word babe is the same word for infant that is being used here, that are coming to Jesus Christ. That is a very important detail for a theology on abortion, that Jesus sees no distinction, none whatsoever, between a born infant and a baby in the womb. For the unborn John He speaks the same way that he speaks of the born infants of our text. They are both babies. And so the unborn have the same status to our Lord as those who are born. Both are to be protected from murder and abuse, whether in the womb or outside of it. And the same word, and this is where the link comes spiritually, the same word is also used for those who are born again spiritually. Peter wrote this. As newborn babes, that word is infant. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 1 Peter 2.2 2. In other words, the broader point being made by both Jesus and Peter is this, is that our new birth is portrayed by newborns. I'll speak of that in our last heading as we get to it. But for now, the Lord shows that infants of believing parents in our text For that's who came to present these children, believing parents who believed on the Lord. The infants of believing parents are a part of the kingdom of God already. That's what he says. He says it very plainly in verse 16. Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. 
for of such is the kingdom of God. He says very plainly that these particular infants are part of the kingdom of God. Yes, there is a spiritual illustration he intends for us, but it never negates the literal meaning. He counts as those in his kingdom the infants of believers, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now consider the occasion of our Lord to have to say this. It was to correct his disciples who rebuked parents from presenting their infants to him. As though these babies were unimportant. You think of this. They are seeing here the king and head of the church and they might be wondering what, what purpose is there to bring these little children to Jesus? Surely he has more important things to take care of than these little children. But interestingly, if you just went up a couple verses, just prior to this, you remember what Jesus was preaching on. He's preaching on the, the publican, right? And the Pharisee. And what does he end that with? That the justification is to these. Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself should be, shall be exalted. In other words, to be justified, you must humble yourself even to become as like a little child. And so when the infants are being presented, it was like his disciples missed the point. They saw them as unimportant to the master, who they saw was preaching on very important discourses. But Jesus, never wasting an opportunity to show our need to be humbled, says, no, these infants are important to me. They are worthy of my time. And as the king and head of the church, I declare them to be part of my kingdom. And his displeasure was kindled as they sought to forbid infants from having his blessing. So what we see here is, as he includes them in the kingdom, there are a couple things you can take note of this. That an infant can be part of the kingdom of God even without expressing outward repentance without expressing an outward profession of faith, without even a mental assent to the gospel itself. And the truth here then is this, and this is something we miss. It is not the individual, in other words, that decides they are in the kingdom, but it is the king's declaration that they are part of the kingdom of God. And what is his declaration? The children of believers are part of the kingdom of God. That's his rule. That's his law. And that rule is reflected all throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. From the very beginning, where the seed of believers take part of his glorious covenant. What did God tell Noah? Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Genesis 9.8. What did God tell Abram? I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. This covenant never ends. To be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Genesis 17.7 And what did God tell us through Peter in the new covenant? Acts 2.49 And the promise that is implied here of the covenant, the promise of the covenant is to you and to your children. And what did God tell us through Paul in 1 Corinthians 7.14? For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they 
holy. A child of believers, even one, is counted holy and separated unto the Lord Jesus Christ. They are what the Bible calls the children of promise, that they are a sure part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, and this is where we often go wrong, is the kingdom of God is, in this time, what we call the visible church on this earth. And there's no difference between the Old Testament and New Testament in this. They speak the same word. The problem is that many of us have a reductionist view of the kingdom of God, saying that all associated with the church must be regenerated, that there is an entirely regenerated church on the earth. That's to put the cart before the horse. That's the kingdom in glory, but not today, not on the earth. In another parable, Jesus likens the kingdom to a field with wheat and tares. Matthew 13, 24, the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this language. It's very plain. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. That's the kingdom of heaven. Both wheat and tares, unbelievers and believers, not just believers in this time. And when his servants heard of this, they wanted to purify the field. And what did the king say to the idea? He said, nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. That is what the visible church, the kingdom of God on the earth is. It consists both of those truly born again and those that simply say, Lord, Lord, but have no saving faith in them at all. But they're almost indistinguishable in the church is what Jesus says. Only God knows for sure. You know, that's the only way to make sense of scriptures like 2 Corinthians 13.5, which is addressed to a church, right? Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Again, clearly there are wheat and there are tares in the kingdom. And what that should do to know this really should drive you, children of God, all of you are to examine yourself. Is Jesus Christ in me? Do I exhibit marks of grace? Do I believe the gospel in my heart? Do I repent of my sin continually? Are there marks of new obedience in my life? Do I trust that the Lord alone can save me? Do I trust that I am a sinner in need of the grace of God? Do not rest in your baptism. Do not rest in your church membership. But ask the deeper question. Am I resting in Christ alone? This lack of distinction between wheat and tares in the kingdom is really at the root of what causes men to eject children in a very reductionist view of the church. But that children are part of the church is reflected all throughout the New Testament. Paul addresses the children in two epistles directly, Colossians and Ephesians. Paul addresses them as though they are in the assembly listening to his letter being read. Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, parents, instruct your children. He says, children, knowing that they are here. Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why does he talk this way? Because our Lord Jesus Christ has said, for of such is the kingdom of God. 
Boys and girls, that is why I often address you as I preach. This is the same way that the, the Bible, the Bible addresses you in the worship of God. You are baptized members of this church. Your baptism shows you belong with us, and you are part of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. Now, let us deal with the saying very broadly. As you know, in the Bible, when a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. For instance, Ephesians 4.24 is a very great example of this, where Paul says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. In other words, what is he teaching about the Eighth Commandment? If thievery is forbidden, then to labor and to give to the needy is commanded. That's what that principle teaches. And it's throughout the Bible. If you look at your Bible, you'll start to recognize it. So if we are not to forbid children from coming to Jesus, what is the duty that Jesus expects for us to bring them to him? And uh, I want to go broader than baptism for a moment, parents. Even if you have presented your child for baptism, your duty is to constantly bring them to Jesus Christ. Not in the singular moment where the waters of baptism will be on the head, but continually and constantly. Many covenant children are neglected spiritually. They're absented from public worship, or they sit outside in a nursery and color books, They're not brought to Jesus in family worship daily. Their parents do not exhort them as soon as they are able to read. It is time for you to read the word of God for yourself. They do not say as soon as they understand prayer, it is time for you to pray to the Lord Jesus devotionally. They do not exhort them to receive Christ as their Savior personally and to repent of their sin. They do not tell them, walk closely with Jesus, my son or my daughter, Give the Lord your heart. They don't say you must have your own personal relationship with the Lord. You cannot base it on mine. They do not tell them to love and adore God through Christ as the great commandment says. They do not tell them to have an inner holiness that matches their outward holiness in the kingdom. They do not tell them that the rule for their house is summed up in these words. As for me and my house, we will. Full stop. We will serve the Lord. They do not say, child, you are to serve the Lord and there is no option for you. The Lord has brought you into a covenant home, sovereignly so, and you must love the covenant head, Jesus. They do not warn them with Hebrews 6, when there are signs maybe breaking out of backsliding or maybe apostasy, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Boys and girls, you have all tasted the heavenly gift, the good word of God, the waters of baptism, You are not to fall away. So parents, you are to bring your children to Jesus Christ continually. Why? He says to do so, so that he might bless them. That's an encouragement to you, parents. 
Think of the godly parents in the Scripture. I was meditating on Timothy the, this last week. Paul told Timothy he remembered his faith was like his, his mother and his grandmother's. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. 2 Timothy 1.5 Is Timothy not just another example that the promise is to us and to our children? And a couple chapters later, what did Paul say these women um, had imparted to Timothy? And that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.15. You know that word child is the word infant. It's that same word for infant in our text. From infancy, children can know the scripture, is what the word of God says. They can know the voice of their beloved. He said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. And certainly John the Baptist sensed the presence of the Lord in the womb, didn't he? Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit that regenerates a soul. This is a supernatural thing. That's why an unborn child leaps in his mother's womb at the presence of Christ. And so Lois and Eunice brought the infant Timothy to the Scripture. Undoubtedly, they spoke the promises of God to him. Later in life, when he was able, they made him memorize it. They must have told him, Timothy, these are the very words of God to us, his people. And the infant became a minister of God, Paul's protege. Not because of Paul, but because of the Holy Scriptures working in his life from infancy. And I was thinking about this. This is also an encouragement to mothers here, isn't it? If your husband is not spiritually engaged with your children, find in Timothy an example of how mothers are mightily used by God when they teach the scriptures to their children. Parents, look at the example, look at the promise, and never think your ministry to your children, even at a young age, is for naught. Because Jesus says, you bring them to me, and I will bless them. That's what he says. So persevere in family worship, even if it seems like you're not getting through to them. You will read many testimonies of children who grew up saying they disdained family worship. Maybe they were utterly bored in the worship of God publicly. But later in life, they say how the Lord opened their eyes to show that he worked through all that. Parents, I'll just say when it comes to corporate worship here in this place, we have a very comfortable cry room now. But bring your children back into worship as soon as possible. Do not make the cry room a a place of escape just say this, and maybe we'll consider this in our series on raising families. Children are excellent at training you. Bring them back to Jesus as soon as possible. They don't learn that that's where you go to play. Well, with that, and maybe that's a slight digression, uh, having seen that the kingdom belongs to the children of believers, let's consider our second heading. Infants are due the sign of kingdom entrance. So when it comes to baptism now, we've talked about Infants of believers are part of the kingdom of God. That's indisputable. But when it comes to baptism, why will this young infant girl be baptized this morning? Well, it is because, first of all, she is part of the kingdom. And what is the sign and seal of the kingdom of God? And the entrance to it is baptism. Baptism is a visible boundary around those in the kingdom and those not. 1 Corinthians 12.13, and we miss this, I think, often as we think of baptism. 
For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. See that? This is, signifies our entrance into the kingdom of God. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. A neglected function of baptism, as we consider it. It marks those who are part of the body and those who are outside. And what confuses a lot of people when they say they must reject infant baptism is they say they do not see baptism of infants in the book of Acts. And so they say, we must deny infants the baptismal sign. But friends, let me just say, this is not how the Christian church does theology. Otherwise, women would never take the Lord's Supper. There's not an instance in the Bible where you see explicitly women taking the Lord's Supper. Not one. We establish that they do, however, from what we call good and necessary consequence. And what you are seeing in the book of Acts, as you consider it, is you are dealing with converts to Christianity. And so what is the commandment to converts? That they believe and be baptized. However, at the same time, it was preached to them that the promise is to them and their children, that their children are holy. And what do you think happened to the children of those converts? Just as children in the Old Testament were circumcised, they were baptized. Consider Lydia. She is baptized, right? Uh, she believes, and then her whole household is baptized. Acts 16.15. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. See, it's just her faith there. Come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And household baptisms are common in the New Testament, just as household circumcision was in the Old Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.16 that he baptized also the household of Stephanus. Why is this? Households are a unit in the Bible. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24.15. And that's why, reflecting that, 1 Corinthians 7.14 tells us the children of believers are holy. And even when the commandment comes to us to repent and believe the gospel, how does it come? In Acts 16.30, when the Philippian jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What was the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And sometimes we just stop there. But what else does he say? Thou and thy house. Members of the household come into the kingdom, the visible church together. And something that is often forgotten by the Baptist is that baptism never began in Matthew chapter 3. No, the Jews baptized Gentile proselytes, converts to Judaism. And so when John the Baptist comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, no one was asking, what is this weird thing you're doing where you're putting water on people's heads? No, they understood he was baptizing. But what was the controversy? What was the scandal? It wasn't that he baptized Gentiles. The scandal is he was baptizing Jews. He showed the Jew that they needed to repent and believe to enter the kingdom of heaven. That was the scandal of John's baptism. That they could not trust their identity as ethnic Jews. And Christian baptism is in many ways the continuation of the Jewish baptismal practice. Uh, I was reading John Lightfoot, 
He's a master of understanding the Jewish traditions. He, he would translate the Talmud and other, other Jewish writings. And he demonstrates that the Talmud states that the infants of proselytes, that is, converts, were baptized. He quotes the Talmud directly, and he says, it, uh, quote, Rabbi Hona saith, a little one they baptized by the appointment of the consistory. The Hebrew gloss upon that place saith, if he have not a father and his mother bring him to be proselyted, they baptize him because there is no proselyte without circumcision and baptism. It's what the Jews did because they understood this connection between circumcision and baptism that we find in Colossians chapter 2 as well. And Lightfoot summarizes the Talmud this way, quote, By these and other testimonies which might be produced, it is apparent that baptism and baptism of infants was in common use before John appeared. And it doth not only show a reason why the Jews never questioned him what baptism meant, but by what authority he did baptize. But also it showeth the reason why the New Testament is so sparing in expressing the object and manner of baptism, namely because both baptism itself and those things were commonly and ordinarily used and known before. End quote. And if you read the Talmud, they reason the same way Christians do in this that as children of the covenant were circumcised in the old covenant, so too are children of proselytes baptized. The reasoning is this, that the child of a proselyte becomes a proselyte themselves. Or to use the language we are more familiar with, the child of a disciple becomes a disciple themselves of Christ. That is often neglected by us. But what does Jesus expect of your children, believer? He expects that your child is to be a disciple of Christ. That like Timothy, from what age? From infancy, you must learn the scripture to make yourself wise. And so as a part of the kingdom of God, the visible church, they are baptized. It does not save them, no, by no means does it do that. But it constrains them and it commits them. And to what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To have the new birth, that is a picture here in baptism. Their duty is to make sure they are born again by the spirit and water. Their duty is faith in the Lord Jesus. Their duty is repentance to God. Their duty is to make sure that they have been cleansed, not by water, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Their duty is to make sure they have been buried with him in baptism. In other words, we put it this way, their duty is to close with Jesus Christ and receive him by faith. This is no different than what God expected of the Old Testament church. And and we forget this when it comes to circumcision, that their circumcision was to be reflected in their heart. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Jeremiah 4 verse 4. God always wanted the heart of his people. This isn't some New Testament innovation. He has always wanted what the sacraments picture to be truly reflected in your heart. And so our children must not trust their baptism, but instead their baptism must compel them. Otherwise, boys and girls, let me solemnly say this, your baptism will be as burning coals to you in the life to come in hell. It will be a mark that will sear you for eternity in hell to say that I understand what the kingdom of God is and I rejected it. 
that I was outwardly in the kingdom, that week after week the word of God was preached that proclaimed a glorious Savior, that said no matter what your sins are, you can be the chief of sinners and you can come to Christ and he will forgive you. And you said no to all of that. What a terrible mark your baptism will be in hell. You must believe the gospel and close with Christ. Boys and girls, let me just say, God has been very good to you. God has put you in a covenant home, a home where the Bible, the word of life is open to you daily, I trust. You need to praise God for it. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You have every advantage that the pagan does not. God has put you in a home where prayers for your soul are being offered continually. God has put you in a home where you come to worship him in this place. God has put you in a home where you have tasted and seen that the Lord Jesus Christ is good. God has put you in a home where you hear hear that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, even the chief. And though you may be a great sinner, and you are, and I am too, there is a greater Savior. What is the duty he requires of you? To receive Jesus by faith and consecrate yourself to him to obey him and follow his commandments, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him daily. See how he loves little children, even you. So come to the Savior, believe him and adore him. And what a crime it would be for you of all people to reject such a Savior, such a Savior as this, and to reject him for what? Your sin that will destroy you? The world that will not remember you? Why do you reject Jesus Christ? Such a gracious Savior. Parents, it is your duty to the Lord to make sure they are instructed like that. Ephesians 6.4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That tells you your children are to be disciples or proselytes of Christ. Just as the Jews understood, Jesus said, Teach, that is, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, from Matthew 28. In other words, disciples are baptized, and the children of believers are disciples who are baptized, and you, fathers especially, mothers too, are to teach them all things that the Lord Jesus Christ has taught you. I pray, and I have prayed, that this little girl would never know a day where she was apart from the knowledge of Christ, where she was not a disciple of the Lord. That is her parents' duty before God, and it is our duty as a church to pray for her in that way, and it is her duty to always be a disciple of Christ. What you need to be done with is this modern, and it is a modern Western idea, that our children must choose to be Christians. No. Be done with that. God put her in a Christian home sovereignly. That is her blessing. And Jesus expects her to follow him. So when the day comes, we fervently pray when she makes a profession of her faith, when she stands publicly before God, not to be baptized, but before his congregation, wherever that is, in effect to say, yes, the Lord has worked in my heart to give me faith to reflect the baptism I received when I was only a few weeks old. That is what we pray for that she will then rejoice and thank the Lord that the sign that she received of the covenant was an effectual means of grace. And she will not be rebaptized because there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
and her baptism's efficacy was never tied to the moment that water is poured on her head. And let that encourage you as well, especially if you have a child who is walking away from the Lord at this moment. That the efficacy of baptism, just like the efficacy of the Word of God, is never tied to the moment of administration. You will hear many, many who have run away from the Lord as prodigals, who will say that in the dead of night or someplace else, that they had rejected the Word of God for 20, 30, 40 years, and then all of a sudden the Word of God comes to them in power, and they remember the words of life, and they are converted to the Lord years after they heard the Word. It's the same with baptism and the Lord's Supper and those means of grace as well. They are blessed in the Spirit's time. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is sovereign. John 3, eight. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Every means of grace is only efficacious because the Spirit of the Lord blesses it, and he chooses when he will do the blessing. And so one day, when this girl we pray and trust will make a profession of faith, she will thank God that he gave to her parents who believed and to her as a child of believers precious promises to be a God to her and her parents. And she will be thankful, I trust, that he loves believers so much that he not only gives Jesus to them, but also to their children. With all of this, then, think of that old prophecy in Isaiah 44, verse 3, that prophesied of the New Testament. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Think of Jesus come to bless these infants. And think of the promise of Isaiah 44. Connect it to this text and connect it to them being born again of the spirit and water in John 3. We connect all these texts in the word of God, believing its promises to our children. And we will then pour the water of baptism on this infant as a sign that we, it's a sign of faith, that we believe in his promise, that he will pour out his spirit upon our seed as surely as I, the minister, will pour out water on her head. Not that the water converts her, but that the Lord might be pleased to work faith in her in his sovereign time. So for our last heading then, let us see the ultimate spiritual lesson here, that infants show your need to be born again. When you see this little child, this infant being baptized, the Lord would have you look upon her and reflect on the condition of your own soul. Verse 17 Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Our mistake really is to think the infant must become like an adult to enter the kingdom. But really, the the controversy here and the challenge to our soul is Jesus says the opposite is true, that you are to be as a little child to enter the kingdom. That's why in John 3, 7, he said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You must become like an infant. Your soul is to be reborn to enter the kingdom of God. Now, be careful. 
He's not saying infants are sinless by no means. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jesus is not saying this little child was born without sin. Not at all. They need a Savior, just as you and I do. But among sinful man, infants are the most innocent and most humble example of us all. They exercise trust in their parents. They trust in them with their very lives as you are called to trust in God the Father. They do not worry about their provision. They trust day by day. They will be fed and they will be clothed. Anxiety over our provision happens sometime later in life, but not as an infant, as we should trust in God's providence. They are more ready to believe that what their father tells them is fact, as we should trust in God's word uncompromisingly. They are humble. They don't consider themselves great in the world's eyes. As we ought to humble ourselves before God, seeing that we are not great, but He is. The born-again heart has such a view of God. In the things of God, it is as a little child. That is what you ought to be children of God, to you who have believed in Jesus Christ. When you look upon this newborn being received into the church of Jesus Christ this morning, Think on your desires. Do I desire the word of God as this young girl desires uh, her mother's milk? Think of the humility of this infant. It is not, it is not a know-it-all. It, it is not prideful. That's why in the parable, right before infants come, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That's What is that? That's a picture of being as humble as a little child. The 131st Psalm, think of it in this little girl's example and how it ought to reflect your life. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as what? As a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Friends, your first birth, it condemns you as you are born in sin and iniquity because you are prideful in yourself. You don't humble yourself before God. You think you have done great things. You think you have merited favor with the Almighty. You despise God and you think of yourself as greater than He is in pride. You sin day and night and you say, God does not see. You must be born again. Your first birth in Adam does nothing but condemn you. You must become as an infant, born again in Jesus Christ. Do you have the new birth, friend? How can you know? Yours is a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Yours is a heart exercised towards faith and repentance. So if you've never heard of the new birth and your need for it, if you've never believed the gospel, you need to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again from above. Admit to God you are a sinner and you deserve hell. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Repent, that is, turn from your sin and turn to the teaching of the word of God. You will be saved and saved to the uttermost if you have come to God through Jesus. 
You heard the counsel given to the Philippian jailer. Hear it again. Believe thou on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. That is a definite word. Shalt be saved. Thou and thy house. I was thinking of our theme today. Maybe I need to exhort sinners in this way. If you will not do it for yourself, will you do it for the sake of your children? When salvation comes to a house, it comes to the children of the house as well. If you have little care for your own soul, have a care for your child and turn to the Lord for their sake. If you are born again, your duty is to cultivate the graces of a heart of a child to God. Consider your pride and humble yourself before the Lord. Many of you profit from J.C. Ryle, that 19th century Anglican bishop or pastor. And what is remarkable, I know many of you have profited from him, and, and there is a sense of Christ-likeness all about him. His successor in Liverpool summed him up well. He called Ryle this, a man of granite with the heart of a child. A man of granite with the heart of a child. If you have been born again, let me ask, are you men or women like this when it comes to God? Men, be men of granite with the heart of a child. Ladies, let the Lord say you are a woman whose worth is far above rubies, and yet yours is the heart of a child, not being self-exalting. That means never to be infantile in your faith. That's not what that means. Because you're all to grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus. You're all to go from milk to meat, as the Bible says. You're all to grow in the exercises of your faith. But all along as you do this, as you know more of the Lord, as you commune with him more and more day by day, what is supposed to happen is your childlike heart is to deepen. It's supposed to grow more and more childlike, more and more humble before God. And you see that, yes, the gulf between me and my God is so great, I am at best an infant before him. And you must then retain a resting in his goodness, a resting in his providence, trusting all things work for good. That's how a child is towards parents, a resting in his sovereignty that everything works for my good, a resting in Jesus' merit and not your own to carry you to heaven. You say of my works, they're all is done. All I have are the works of Christ. And that's how the child of God is towards their father as a child. And when the father says, stop doing something out of the word, you stop and you repent. Well, I trust with those meditations on the word that we are to become as a little child in the kingdom of God. We are now prepared to bring an infant to the Lord Jesus that he might bless her. But before that, let us rise for prayer if able and seek the Lord to bless the word. Our Father in heaven, the word of God has been preached, and we thank you for the word which is able to bring even these infants that we hear cry out this morning, able to make even these infants wise, that even that some of these children who are crying out, some of the male children, will be, Lord willing, one day ministers in the house of God, that these uh, little girls, as the little girl, would be even palace cornerstones, as we sing, in the house of God, adorning the temple of God with the graces of God. Father, we know this is a sovereign work of yours. And so we pray that if there are any here who have never come to Christ for salvation, that the word of God that has been preached would bring them to Jesus. 
Father, would you bless every covenant child here? We thank you for them in our midst. We thank you for these, uh, these sounds of life in the congregation. And we pray, Father, that such sounds would be found in our own heart, that we would cry, Abba, Father, and that we would look to you, Father, as a little child looks to their father. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would bless the word of God that was preached. And now as we prepare to have the sacrament observed, you would bless that too. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated for just a moment.